0: You know, we begin the season of Lent by affirming that it's a time for life. Some have called it the springtime of the soul, when the old debris is cleared away so that new growth can come. And I I think that's not a bad way to look at it. It's part of the church's cycle of life. Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany, that's part of the cycle of light. Lent, Easter, and Pentecost comprise the cycle of life. And since many people expect Lent to be hard and sort of depriving anyway, I always begin by underscoring this point as I did last week. Lent is about life. But this is week two, (laughs) and I have to tell you, Lent is also about death. Dying to our old lives. Killing the thing that's killing us, as a pastor friend of mine puts it. And it's where Lent gets its bad reputation. But the death of Lent is necessary in order for life, the life of God to emerge and thrive and for the people of God to flourish in the way that God intends. It's not an easy message, but it is the way to knowing the full life of Easter and Pentecost. Mark chapter 8 is one of the places where we find Jesus telling us about life through death. It begins with his teaching about his own coming death, which the disciples find difficult to accept, and then the invitation to follow him into death, into self-denial, suffering as the way to true life. We have to back up just a little bit, though, uh, in Mark to get a running start on the passage that you have printed today in the bulletin, the lectionary passage. We go back a few verses, we see Jesus healing a blind man in Bethsaida. And he heals him in two stages. You notice that? I mean, if you go back and look at the, he's not instantly healed. It it takes a couple times. I think that's kind of an insight and a helpful illustration for us that our own healing or even our own understanding of things, like the disciples, may not come all at once, but over time. Then Jesus gets into a conversation with the disciples about his perceived identity. Who do people say I am? And they give him a variety of answers. You're John the Baptist, you're Elijah. Some people say you're one of the prophets. But what about you? What about you? And Peter is very clear on this. You are the Christ. At this point, though, here in Mark, Jesus rebukes them. And he tells them not to tell anyone. That's the first rebuke. And then our passage begins with Jesus teaching about his coming suffering, that he will be rejected by those in authority, he'll be put to death, and then will rise. Peter's having none of this. I mean, Jesus is God's anointed one. He's just said so. He knows. That's, that's the right answer. And he also knows what that means. He's been taught well. From childhood, who the Messiah would be, what it would look like when he would come, the work that he would do. He was, he, his theology was right in terms of what he knew. And death, suffering, and defeat are not part of it. I mean, hasn't he just answered correctly who Jesus is? Yes. So he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Now, the tone of this is important, it goes by pretty quick. But note that Peter doesn't just say to him, Jesus, it's hard for us when you talk about suffering and death. You know, can you tone it down a little bit? In effect, what he says to him is, this is crazy talk. It's a stern rebuke. It's a direct challenge. This word here, rebuke, is the word that Jesus uses in exercising demons. I mean, we read it like this. Jesus, maybe you are as crazy and misguided as your family thinks you are. Maybe you even have an evil spirit. Now, it doesn't say that, but that word is very strong. And that's why the response from Jesus is so strong. And it's very directed. Get behind me, Satan. In our vestry meeting this week, we were talking about Jesus' uh, experience of baptism and then his time in the wilderness because it relates uh, very closely to our time in Lent. And, you know, in the wilderness, he's tempted or tested by Satan. Paul Gleason made the very uh, insightful point that Jesus knew God's voice, the voice of the Father that had blessed him at his baptism. But he also knew the voice of Satan, the voice that had tempted him to abandon his mission. This is something Jesus was able to discern with clarity. He knew the difference. And he kept that distinction through his whole life through the ministry of prayer. So when Peter begins to suggest that the Messiah does not need to suffer and die, Jesus knew the source of that idea. He knew where that was coming from. It was another temptation in effect. And he calls it out right away. He isn't telling Peter, I mean, the one who just confessed Jesus as Messiah, he wasn't now literally saying, you've been possessed by the devil. He wasn't saying that. He was just saying, you're being used to communicate something that's very different than what you just said. And, by the way, I know where it's coming from. I've heard that before. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Is the first point of today's sermon. And it relates to knowing God's voice. How do we discern whether what we're hearing or what we're saying or what we're doing conforms to the Lord's intentions or not? I mean, sometimes that's clear, right? I mean, we we said the Ten Commandments at the beginning of the service today. Um, there are some things in there that are pretty clear. Although Jesus muddied the waters a little bit when he says that what we do in our minds matter, you know, it would been good if he hadn't gone there, but uh, he did. But generally, I know murder is not acceptable, right? But then there's all the rest of our lives when we're not murdering. The kinds of things we face every day, the kinds of decisions we have to make, the directions that are encountered. How can we know if we have in mind the concerns of God or just human concerns? And remember that Jesus said, as the good shepherd, the sheep know his voice. So the more time we spend with the shepherd, the more clear that voice will become. It's why the church commends scripture and prayer as daily disciplines. The more time we spend given to hearing God's voice through the scriptures and listening for the voice of God's spirit in prayer, the the more we'll be able to know when God is speaking and when it's maybe just a human concern. John Stott was one of the most influential pastors and teachers of the church, of the evangelical church in the 20th century. He accomplished so much in terms of his writing and speaking all over the world. And, of course, out of his church in London. Near the end of his life, he was asked if he would do anything differently. He said, I would pray more. I would pray more. This is a man that from his college days set his alarm at 5 o'clock in the morning to spend significant time in prayer every day and then always finish the day in the same way and he felt he had not prayed enough. I feel I do not pray enough. I feel our church doesn't pray enough either. And I bear a large part of the burden of that reality as pastor. The good news is it's something we can change, and we can look for ways for it to change. Every community group meeting, every Zoom call, every interaction between people, even time on our own, these are all opportunities for prayer. And prayer is powerful. It's much more than we know. It's asking God, yes, and it's giving thanks, but it's also listening. In prayer, we grow in our ability to hear the Lord's voice. And to grow in discernment between the concerns of God and human concerns. Those things that are just merely human concerns. You know, I always know when I meet someone who spends a lot of time in prayer. A deep person of prayer, when you meet them, you know. And I also think it shows when churches do the same. Prayer must always be the first thing we do in discernment. And the second thing. And, the, you know, it, it, along with Scripture... And along with information, but prayer always remains a part of the process and the decisions that we need to make, large or small. You know, it's part of our cultural baggage that when we're faced with a problem or disagreement or uncertainty of the way to go, we lean on information. And I do that, and I think a lot of us do that, and it's important. But if information isn't steeped in prayer, it will not be wisdom. Discerning the Lord's voice is also something that we do with others in mutual submission. Because sometimes we think we're hearing the Lord's voice. We can get really stuck on that, right? And, and it may not be. It might be. But we submit it to others. It's funny that, um, you know, we, we, we tell people don't, don't make decisions under stress. Like having a bad day, you know, don't quit your job. Because you're going to need that. Yeah, you're having a rough day. Just don't, okay, so don't make decisions under stress. Don't make decisions. Don't make a move alone either when it comes to following God or hearing His voice. It needs to be confirmed in the midst of the people where God has placed us. And when it's not clear, then we just continue to pray and to listen. So that's the first thing. I'm just, I mean, I'm really grateful that Amanda mentioned prayer for the children. Uh, That's something for all of us today. And this is, you know, this is where Jesus heard the voice of the Father and knew the difference, was in prayer. Jesus then tells his disciples and the crowd that's there, before he's kind of talking to them, now he, he includes everybody in this, and he tells them what it means to be a true follower of his. And I, I'm going to guess it's probably not what they were wanting to hear. How do we sign up, Jesus? Well, here's what you do. <laughs> disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow And I'm I'm not even sure that this made much sense to them who heard it at that moment. I mean, maybe more of his strange teaching, they might have thought. But to those who heard the gospel of Mark later and knew of Jesus' passion and death and resurrection, the cross imagery comes into focus. In other words, if you want to follow me, Jesus says, you must also be willing to walk the same path and to go where I'm going. When I was younger in the church, and I mean like a teenager and 20s, there was a lot more teaching about this concept called dying to self. I don't hear it so much anymore, but it's rooted in verses like this and others that speak of the cost of following Jesus. We tend to talk, we tend to talk now about the gospel as empowerment, and there is that element, of course. But at its heart, the f- the faith that we hold is about the cross of Jesus and the virtue and the gifts of his cross. Dying to self is not the death of self, right? It's not hating ourselves. And God made us each in remarkable and beautiful ways. We can honor that, celebrate that. But dying to self means we die to our own self-determined future. We relinquish our agendas our pride, our self-sufficiency. We relinquish our own certainty about things. We also die to the things that, that have our allegiance and our energy, whether they're good or bad. And we do this through surrender in every day and every moment. It's the work of a lifetime for the disciple, right? It's never something that we master. We can't say, oh, good, I died to self. I've checked that off the list. What do you got next? We die to self. We surrender the things we're carrying so that we can take up the cross that Christ offers us and learn to follow. Our hands are full of so many things. Mine are our self stuff. And the cross that we're told to embrace, that can be represented in many things of our lives. But it's essentially the life of the crucified and risen Lord living through us. In other words, if you make a decision to say, okay, I'm I'm going to die to self, you don't have to go looking for that. I mean, it's already there at your doorstep. There will be some opportunity for you to lay that down and to surrender to the Lord. Way of the cross is a continual surrender. It's a submission of our whole selves to God, a relinquishing of everything that draws us away from following Jesus moment by moment. Why? Why do that? Well, we do that because that is where rich, full life is to be found. That's the gift we're given in exchange. God doesn't destroy our will. He transforms it. If we want to know life, and I think we do, most people do, then this is what it looks like. And we often confuse political power with biblical justice because this is kind of an unpopular message. It's totally countercultural. We're caught up with identity self-actualization, rights, and so on. And those have their place, but surrender to God is, is the way to the life we desire and that we desire for the world. This is where love grows in us towards other people, especially the people we find hard to love. And often those are the people right near us. You know, the cross is a prevalent theme wherever you find suffering wherever you find persecution, wherever you find struggle and oppression that the church is having to face. In Rwanda, after 1994, the cross became very central in their theology. They they know a lot about the cross. It happens in other parts of the world as well, wherever you find that. In our own country, it's the black church that has the most to teach us about the cross, and we need to be listening to that. Now, it's easy for me to identify things in other people that they need to die to. <laughs> you find you can do that too? I have, the discern- I have the gift of discernment. You need to die to that. Well, that's often where we go when we hear a passage like this. It's where I go. But dying to self is my work about my stuff, your work about your stuff. Now, we can encourage each other in that, right? And pray for one another, and we should do that. But it's about my own heart. Don't go looking for the things in other people that they need to deal with. You got enough of your own, and so do I. You know, I've talked about my dad a lot, uh, who died last year, and I always have talked about him in positive terms. But he was a human being, and he struggled in areas of his life, like all of us, but particularly because of his own story, he struggled with prejudice. Anyone who was different, tend to be racially uh, that, but especially African-Americans. And one time in my presence, he made a statement. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't a derogatory word or anything like that. But also, it wasn't true, and it wasn't fair. And I pointed that out, and I was a little nervous because I thought, I'm probably going to start an argument. (laughs) And he said, you're right. I need to be healed of that. You can pray for me about that. He was a true disciple, learning to lay things down, learning to take up his cross every day. Humility was at the heart of it. Sometimes we think about dying to self as sort of a one-time decision. I mentioned that. Fred Craddock was a great preacher and a teacher of preachers. And he says that we tend to think about it like giving Jesus a $1,000 bill. I don't know if there is such a thing, but Maybe one time there was. And you know, here it is, Jesus. This is my I'm I'm giving you all that stuff now. I'm I'm I've died to it, it's yours, I've handed it over. He says in reality, the picture should be Jesus sends us to the bank, where he's told us to change the thousand dollars into quarters. And we spend the rest of our lives paying it out, step by step, decision by decision, in little things, often more and large ones. Prayer and surrender. It's the second week of Lent. We're just getting warmed up. Prayer and surrender. I have a prayer that I would like for us to pray today, and I'm going to ask the ushers if they'll just hand it out, because this came to me late. Forgive me, we could have put it in the bulletin. I think it's from um, Richard Foster from his book on prayer, I believe. It's called The Prayer of Relinquishment. And I thought, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me just to stand here and pray and have you listen. And also, we've put a slide onto the YouTube uh, feed, so those of you participating online can read the prayer as well. And if you'd like to just keep the copy with you. We're going to read through it, and we're not um, going to read it fast. So brothers and sisters, let us offer our prayer to the Lord. Pray with me, please. Today, O oh Lord... I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May your way have perfect sway in me. May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with a care that I can never give. I release into your hands my need to control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom on earth. For Jesus' sake, amen.